the shingles have obvious hail damage, but the adjuster is saying it's blisters or mechanical damage. And better yet, he's telling you that there needs to be a bruise or a fracture in the shingle for it to count. If you're tired of hearing this and want to be able to concretely overcome the claim game, then this is the podcast for you. In this series, we're going to do away with all the myths and reveal the truth behind hail and wind damage claims. My name is Chad Conley, and I'm a state-licensed public adjuster. Over the last 12 years, I've been responsible for more than $160 million in approved storm damage claims. And now, I'm bringing my expertise to you. Let's get it bought. Episode 5 of Get It Bought. Here we are already five episodes in, and we're having a blast. The feedback has been phenomenal. Getting text messages, emails, et cetera, from all over the country. Guys are rocking it out there, getting roofs approved, taking what we're talking about here and actually putting it to use. And I cannot tell you how pumped that gets me. It is absolutely phenomenal. We've got a good one today. Ordinance or law coverage, also known as O&L. You've probably seen this before. Maybe you haven't. You have no idea what it is. Uh, Those of you that have seen it have usually seen it used to pay for drip edge, things like that. But what about roof approvals? Can you get a roof approved from Ordinance or Law Coverage, a.k.a. O&L? Absolutely you can. And that's what we're going to get into today. We're going to talk about what it is, why it exists, does every policy have it, and then we'll jump into how you can use this to get a roof approved. And I'm going to tell you, it's underutilized. That's the only way I know how to say it. It is underutilized. And there's some absolute tricks up your sleeve if you know how to utilize ordinance or law coverage. All right. So what is ordinance or law coverage? In short, ordinance or law insurance covers the cost to rebuild a home that has been destroyed, as well as a cost to upgrade a home so it meets the most up-to-date building codes after a covered loss. Now, here's how that's different from how anything else would work. Typically, the insurance policy is only going to pay for what's there. Same for same. But ordinance or law coverage amends this. It changes that little nuance to pay for what's required, not necessarily what was there before. So O&L is just a nice little kicker in the policy that the insured paid for to get the benefit of having a roof that's built to code. Now, why does it exist? Well, it's kind of obvious if you think about it. What if you had a home that was a total loss? And there were numerous changes to the building code from the time that the home was originally built to the time that the loss occurred. In some instances, this could total tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the size of the loss. If you've got someone that's 20 years in paying the mortgage, got great equity, they, they've lost their home in an unfortunate event, fire, you know, tornado, what have you, and the cost to rebuild far exceeds what their insurance payment's going to be. I mean, they could literally be in a position to where you know, they, they can't rebuild it. So ordinance or law coverage is a powerful tool. And unfortunately, not every policy has it. And I can't quote for you guys exactly what the coverage rates are across the U.S. I know that the claims that I have interacted with, probably 90% or better of them have O&L coverage. I think it's much more common than not. I know there are a few carriers. I know of one in Alabama. I don't want to name them, but they never have O&L coverage. It's kind of like a standard exclusion on their policy. But most of your larger carriers, your big market carriers, they typically have this included as part of their coverage. So that being said, I would operate as if it was there. Uh, what's the worst that's going to happen, right? I mean, you don't want to go out there and 
put a bunch of code upgrade things on on a home and assume that it's going to get paid. That's not what I mean. You're going to want to check ahead of time if you're going to be putting a lot of additional labor material into a job. But for the sake of the conversation today, getting the roof approved using ordinance and law coverage, I would assume that they all have it. Because here's the worst case scenario. You've got a claim that's denied and there's a potential inroad to getting the roof approved through ordinance and law coverage. What's the worst that happens? You present your findings, you make your case on the basis of the ordinance and law coverage. You, again, we talked about this in the last episode. Don't quote policy. Don't speak as if you're a policy expert. Be the roofing expert. That's all you got to be. You don't have to be a public adjuster. We talked about that last episode. But to simply say, hey, Mr. Adjuster, you, you're saying this roof can't be approved because of this or it's a, it's a repair because of that. But I've got in writing here that this doesn't work, and here's the reason why. You'll find out pretty quick if that policy has O&L coverage. If it doesn't, and they're going to do the denial anyway, you haven't lost anything. It was already a denial. But you would be amazed at how many roofs you can get approved using O&L. That's what we're going to get into next. I've got some awesome examples of how I've used this to get roofs approved and how I know you guys could leverage this and get roofs approved on your own. If you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably actively working roofing-related insurance claims. If that's true and you're not supplementing all of your insurance work, then you're missing out big time. The simple fact is the insurance company's estimate is just that, an estimate. Get paid for all the work you're doing. Get ClaimRight. ClaimRight is the industry's first ever subscription-based insurance supplement service. Yes, subscription-based. With your monthly subscription, ClaimRight will supplement up to 50 of your insurance re-roof jobs, including the exactimates, supporting documentation, and working out the pricing with your adjusters. Now, you've heard about our services, but what you probably didn't know is that ClaimRight has the GainRight guarantee. We guarantee that you'll make back more than what you spent on your subscription within the first 30 days or we'll give you your money back. That's right, an insurance supplement service that's subscription-based with a money-back guarantee. It's literally zero risk. Guaranteed profit or your money back. Visit ClaimRight.com and sign up today with the GainRight guarantee. That's ClaimRight.com claim r-i-t-e dot com let's get into the meat and potatoes of how we use O&L to get a roof approved one of my first experiences with really leveraging this for an approval was on a very very large tpo roof job was probably there's a little over half a million square feet of, of tpo and the insurance carrier had hired these engineers, experts, whatever, we pretty well staked our ground on what needed to happen. And for the most part, had an agreement on the replacement of the roof. But there was about 60,000 square feet of this roof between expansion joints that had been replaced only about four years earlier. And it was TPO. Sent the TPO off to a lab. The TPO wasn't punctured all the way through. It was just kind of indented. Couldn't even really tell it with a naked eye. You had to stick it into some type of analyzer they had at the laboratory there. I don't know. That's over my head. In order to be able to see that there was any kind of indentation. What was interesting is we noticed that when we started cutting our samples, there was an incredible amount of hell impacts in the paper facer, the ISO. This was a GAF polyiso product. And so we got to digging around into the manufacturer's instructions. And here's what we found. And I'm going to quote this because this is directly from GAF's installation instructions. It says, materials that are wet or damaged to the extent that they will no longer serve their intended purpose shall not be used. All roof insulation 
that has been wet is considered damaged, even if later dried out. Remove all damaged materials from the job site. But the engineer that we had retained on this case basically put together documentation that stated that if these ISO boards were in this bad a condition with a broken facer on a new installation, they would not be allowed to be used. And he wasn't wrong. I mean, if those boards were laying in the parking lot and it was install day, they'd all have to go in the garbage. And on that basis, an additional 60,000 square feet of roofing was approved for replacement. TPO was found to not be damaged in the laboratory. It didn't matter. The TPO had to come up in order for the ISO boards to be replaced. So there you have it. 60,000 square feet of TPO replaced under ordinance or law coverage just because the paper facer on the ISO was broken. Now, how many times have you ever reached into that bucket, right? That was an eye-opening experience for me. And additionally, the code had changed for that local area to require a higher insulation rating for that building. So not only did the property owners get the benefit of an entirely new roof, I think it was close to 4.3, 4.2 million, somewhere in there. It's been a while. They got all that for a $10,000 deductible. Plus, they got the code upgrades, which included a much thicker insulation system to bring up the total R value of that building. I want to say the insulation upgrade alone, not counting the 60,000 square feet that was approved from O&L, approximately another three, $400,000 on the loss. Okay, great. Cool story, Chad. Tell me how I use it. Well, here's the deal. Maybe in a few things that you picked up on there, we went to the manufacturer specifications. And why did we do that? Let me start with building code. If you do not have a copy of the IBC and IRC building code, I highly recommend that you get it. Yes, they're expensive, but get the redlined commentary version of both of those books. They're literally printed with money. If you're doing lots of residential work, mostly residential work, what you're probably going to be reaching for the most is the IRC, International Residential Code. Most of your building departments or whatever they're called in your local area adopt the IRC. Now, some adopt the latest version. Some maybe have adopted a version that's a few years previous. You're going to want to find out what's most applicable for your local area. Once you've got that down, the IRC is going to be your go-to for many of these O&L items. If it's not specified in the IRC, there's a cool little nuance to this that wraps up all the manufacturer specifications, and it simply goes like this. IRC gives a minimum guideline to do X, Y, or Z or the other on the given building component that it's addressing. But then it goes on to say, follow manufacturer specifications. Basically, that's the trump card. So again, IRC, International Residential Code, you're going to be working mostly out of Chapter 9, which is roof assemblies. And in there, they'll have all kinds of guidelines on the substrate. We'll talk about that in a moment. Different methods for installing ventilation, etc. But it will always default to manufacturer's specifications. So on that, manufacturer specifications, listen, they rule the roost. You're going to want to lean on it. Remember, you're the roofer. You're the expert. If you're factory certified by the manufacturer, that's even better. So on substrates, we talked about this, we touched on this a little bit last episode. That's what spawned this episode because all the feedback from it. Well, let's take non-nailable surface, for example. If wood is wet and rotten, it's non-nailable. So if you've got a situation where there's repairs being paid for, but you can show that the damage is expansive, that it goes into the substrate, you're going to be able to start prying the door open on more of the roof being replaced, pushing it towards a replacement versus a repair. If you were to replace decking, what are some things that we know needs to be true? If we're doing it by the book, which if we're pointing to the book as a reference, should be by the book. The decking may have a minimum required nailing pattern for a certain wind zone. That's addressed in the IRC as well. Spacing between the decking. 
Are we supposed to jam it right together? Is there supposed to be a little bit of spacing? Are we putting clips in there? These are the types of things that we've got to point out to the adjuster. They don't have any duty to find this stuff. Episode one, who has a duty to prove the loss? The insured has a duty to prove the loss, which is by extension is you because you're the one out there showing the adjuster what's damaged and what needs to happen, what needs to take place. You're never going to remember everything in all these manuals and training things, et cetera. You need to know where to find it, though. That's the big thing. Know where your pro field guide is at. Know where your master shingle applicator book is at. Have these things readily at hand. They're literally just like the IRC printed with money. Don't forget this. You guys are the experts. Many of you are licensed. I know a lot of states don't require a license, but whether it requires a license or not, you may have had to pull the permit. And even if you didn't have to pull the permit, there's still going to be a building code and you're putting your name behind this work. Now, if the homeowner has ordinance or law coverage, they paid for the benefit of that roof being done to code. You likewise, being the roofing contractor, are putting your name behind the roof maybe even your license behind it, to ensure that it's done right. In no way should you or the homeowner be put in a position to compromise what you've already told the local building authorities you would do. Don't relinquish any of this. You are the expert. I cannot say that enough. We give too much back to the engineers. We give too much back to the insurance adjusters to look to them for the answers. And remember, they don't have the duty to prove the loss. You're the expert. That's your job. Prove it. They could still try to shove it down your throat, I guess. They do it all the time, but we shouldn't give it to them. All right, here's a nice little golden nugget. ASTM specifications. Almost could be its own podcast here, but it ties into O&L, so we're going to cover it nonetheless. ASTM stands for the American Society for Testing and Materials. Basically, they standardize tests so that ratings of products, longevity, wind ratings, etc. are uniform and how they're determined. So if IRC says that ASTM XYZ or whatever must be the minimum met in order for this building component to be compliant with the code, then the minimum's tested against what? The American Society for Testing and Materials. That's the that's the standard. That's why they reference the ASTM specification. So in many places in the IRC, you're going to look and you're going to see ASTM this, ASTM that. You're going to want to get your hands on these docs, and there's one in particular, and I wish I could give it to you, but for copyright reasons, I can't, but I can read you some of what it says here. There's one in particular that I love, and it's spoken about all the time in the IRC. It's ASTM 3462, standard specification for asphalt shingles made from glass felt and surfaced with mineral granules. Hey, that's the business that you guys are in. Asphalt shingles right there. This is the specification for those. But there's a few little nuggets in that specification. And I want to be really specific. Here it says, under materials and manufacturer, point number seven, workmanship, finish, and appearance. Now remember, it has to meet this in order to pass the ASTM standard that's required by the International Residential Code. And it says, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. I'm going to skip around because you guys don't want me to read a big, long spec here. I wouldn't want to listen to it either. It's horrible. 7 tack 2 the weather surface shall be uniform in finish. Okay. Is a hell-damaged roof uniform in finish? Even if it's not functionally damaged, not to go down that road again. Even if it's just granular loss, is it uniform? No, it's not. Let's move on. We'll come back to that. 7 tack 3 the finished shingles shall be free of visible defects such as holes, edges not cleanly cut, rents, cracks, or indentations. Oh, it's a deep well right there. Free of indentations. Pretty confident hell can indent a shingle. It can indent a shingle before there's a fracture. Nobody wants to talk about that, not on the insurance side. But what's a rent? Rents, cracks, or indentations? thought that was wild the first time I read it. A rent 
put simply, is basically an opening. So in order for a shingle to meet this specification, it has to be uniform in finish. The surface has to be uniform in finish. The finished shingles, free of visible defects, edges cleanly cut, rinse cracks, or indentations. If a hailstorm comes through, pulverizes these shingles, bruises, fractures, or not, makes no difference, then we can pretty emphatically say that these shingles no longer meet 3462, ASTM 3462, that is. But we also can assume that these shingles did meet 3462 when the home was built. Well, why can we do that? Well, a permit was pulled when the home was built. A building inspector came out, inspected the home, and gave a certificate of occupancy to allow people to move into the house to allow ownership to be transferred to the new owners. That dwelling could not be occupied by owners if it did not meet building code. Building code requires that 3462 be satisfied. The building inspector, I don't, listen, I don't care if he looked at the roof or not. I don't care if he ever looked at it. I don't care if the shingles didn't meet 3462 and he just didn't document it. That's not our problem. Nobody knows. They weren't there the day that it happened. They don't know the day that it was signed off on. But the insurance company wrote a policy on it. They took the premiums. They don't write policies and take premiums on unoccupied homes, homes that did not pass and get a certificate of occupancy. So they've affirmed that, the, that it was that way. They've affirmed that the home was in good standing. And now the conditions changed. So you can pretty firmly say a few things that are true. These are XYZ model brand, whatever shingles. They meet ASTM. 3462, or they did at the time of manufacture. They were installed on the home when the home was built. The building inspector signed off on these shingles meeting that specification as specified by the International Residential Code when he did his final inspection at the time of the build. And even if it wasn't a new build, let's say this is the third roof for this home, this hypothetical home we're speaking of, it doesn't matter. Did they pull a permit at the time that the re-roof happened? Same thing applies. Clock resets. Matter of fact, it's probably even more so because everything would have been more current. This can be a little bit of a trick to try to explain this to an insurance adjuster. They've never heard this before, folks. They've never heard it before. Very few times has this been deployed because there's not many of us out there that knows this. Now, you guys do, but you're going to have to get a copy of ASTM D3462. That's the exact nomenclature, ASTM D3462. You have to buy a copy of it. They sell it to you. You'd think you could just jump online and just download it somewhere like you can most everything else. I got news for you. ASTM has their stuff on lockdown, but you can buy rights to use it. It'd be foolish not to get it. I forget what I paid for it. I think I paid a hundred bucks for the report. Get your hands on this and put it on your bookshelf along with IRC. So there's just a few uses of ordinance and law coverage. It's very situational. Here's the big thing to take away, though. This is the big takeaway. You've got to build your bookshelf. If you're going to get claims approved, you have to be able to prove the loss, period. That's without question. The better equipped you are to prove the loss, the more approvals you'll have. I'll give you a real quick tip. I don't own one paper version of any of these things that I'm talking about. Absolute waste of time. Everything's in a PDF format, quickly searchable. You just use a search box, type in what you're looking for. Bam, you got it. And you're off to the races. Load up that bookshelf. Be prepared. The next time you get into a situation where you've got a claim denial, immediately think, where's the string at that I can pull to unravel the sweater? What's that little piece of info that would cause the rest of the house of cards to fall? It's there. If you look, it is there. Until next time, let's get it bought. 